So today we're looking at chapter 3 of Philippians, it's the continuation of Paul's teaching to a church um, that he loved dearly. They were the first church that he actually helped plant. Um, and in many ways, they were the ideal church. They stuck with Paul um, through his entire life. They supported him in his work. And even in this case, had sent a very large gift to Paul along with a helper to help Paul in a, in a, deep, a desperate time of need. Um, this was the end of Paul's life, so another reason why it's significant as well. Um, and really, the, the gist of this book in, in its entirety is this idea of kind of an invitation to enter into the life of Christ, right? To live as Jesus did. Um, I think the big idea that I want to get at today, I'll just start there in case you wander off into other thoughts while I'm talking, get distracted or bored with, with the, with the um, thing. This is driving me nuts. It keeps slipping up. Yeah. Anyway, um, the big idea is, um, from Paul is this idea of um, union with Christ, right? In fact, um, when Paul talks about salvation, it means the same thing. It means to be united with Christ. It's, it's not this idea of, of Christ you know, saves us and we have this nice relationship with him. The idea is way beyond that. This is an invitation to become one with him in almost every way not negating our personality as individuals or as a community, right? Those are unique things. But instead, through that, reflecting Christ more and more each day. Um, uh, Paul talks about union with Christ and his union with Christ throughout uh, the Gospels. John talks about it. But Paul, especially if you look at it, um, uh, he describes it in his teachings in the epistles, here in verses 8 and 9, he says, For his sake I have discarded everything, counting all, it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him, united together, right? And that one is, a, is an intimate union with him. In Galatians 2.20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Um, you know, before Christ, Paul built his life upon this identity of, of, of a devout religious Jewish person, right? In every way, that's kind of where he found his identity. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he finds out as he comes to know Christ that all of that is useless. That's kind of the meaning of this particular passage. It could not save him, right? It, and it was a meaningless identity compared with what Christ had done and with knowing Christ. And so after Knowing Christ, Paul begins to build his life with, with Christ upon union with him, um, where his goal is to know Christ more and more each day and to become like him in every way. And that's what he invites us all to, right? We could kind of end it there. What is, but, I mean, the bigger questions are what does it look like? And why, so why does it matter? Why does union with Christ matter? Beyond this idea of just, sometimes we have this idea of salvation, God saves us, is kind of distant. Why does union with Christ matter? Anybody? Yeah. Here. Why don't I let you speak? Who are you? That's a good question. We're all asking that. 
I've seriously been thinking about this a lot. Who am I if I'm not a nurse? And being kind of afraid to retire, and just is hitting me really fresh today. Oh, that's right. That's who I am. <laughs> right. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a child of God, right? Because without this, without this union with Christ, we can't please God. Yeah. You know, there there's a lot to this. We'll talk a bit about it. I've got way too much, which is normal, but forgive me. Um, but But the truth is, and I'll say this, this kind of teaching won't change your life. Right? You guys, many of you sat through church your entire life. You've heard thousands of sermons. And how many do you remember? Very few. Right? It, this teaching won't change your life. Um, what will change your life is, is if, you, if, you, if you grab a hold of some truth and you bring it into a deeper relationship with, with God. Right? What will change your life is if this will help lead you into deeper union with him and with one another, because that's how we change. Um, this model of church is really limited. This model of church is a classroom model. It's not a life model, right? Life is where we change. It's why Jesus' discipleship model wasn't just inviting them to come to synagogue once a week and listen to him teach but to live with them day by day, right? To walk with them. It was relational in every way. This is not a relational model. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's so limited. It's only one aspect to what we need in order to be transformed. And that's why union with Christ, this intimate knowing of Christ is what will change us. Walking with him daily and walking with one another because we too reflect Christ to one another in our relationships, right? Yes, knowing truth is important, but truth doesn't change us unless we know it intimately, right? And, and the, this particular model of church is really based on an enlightenment model or belief system that, that knowing truth, intellectual truth, um, if we know enough, it will change and transform us. It separates truth from relationship and loses. If truth is separated from relationship, it if truth is only an intellectual assent and knowledge, there is no real transformation. And this modern, modern brain science backs this up, right? God gave us amazing brains. Um, and I think I mentioned this before. We have these things in our brains called mirror neurons. We have a mirror neuron system. It's really cool, right? This is a group of specialized neurons in the prefrontal cortex that mirrors the actions and behaviors and feelings of others. It helps us relate to one another, to know one another. Through these, we actually learn. We learn by mimicking. So our ch children learn, right? That's how your, your son is learning. He watches you, right? He connects with you. You know emotionally children connect. They, they feel when you feel, right? If you get upset, they get upset. If you're happy, as long as they're fed and their diapers change, then they could be happy too, right? You get it, right? See, there's that connection, that interaction that happens. And they kind of have this, there's this union that goes on between a parent and a child that God is calling us to as well, right? That's this union with Christ. That's what salvation is. Salvation is union with Christ. Salvation isn't separated from that relationship. It's all about that relationship. That's what's most important. And we see that these motor neurons at work in us, these beautiful things that God has given us to learn um, when, and when we see someone suffering and we feel sad over their loss, 
um, you empathize with him and feel sad. So Adele had her 20th birthday yesterday. She spent part of the day in Galena with her boyfriend and his family shopping. She loves to shop. It's, I don't know if that's good or bad. or Anyway, and came home um, with a number of things, but she also brought a small gift for Lori. Is it okay if I share this? What did, what did it say? It was a little plaque that said, Yeah. Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll take a picture of it and send it all to you later. All I remember was the emotional response because it reminded Lori of her mother. Lori started crying. Well, what did Adele do? Oh, it's okay, Mom. No, Adele started crying. And then me, I'm in the other room, and I'm, and I'm trying to like not cry too, so I'm like, are you guys crying again? <laughs> You know how it goes, right? There's those mirror neurons at work, right? The empathy that takes place because of the love relationship between the two of them and growth. Actually, that particular moment makes them closer together, right? It bonds and knits them together as one. It's all about relationship. That's what we're talking about. You know, Paul's a great teacher, but this letter didn't change the lives of the Philippians, right? This letter wasn't what changed them. it's, It's what they did with it together, and how they applied it to their relationship with God, their union with Christ that made the difference. And even more, it's what it was because they knew Paul and had experienced these same things from him. This wasn't new stuff for them. Paul had taught them. Paul had shown them this before. He was reminding them of what they already knew. right? And that helped them. They weren't just reflecting on the words. They were reflecting on the past relationship and the memories that they've had with him and with one another. Right? That's all what we're talking about here. This is salvation. Salvation is union with Christ and one another. Salvation is not me on my own looking at the word of God, memorizing it. And scripture memorization is actually really good if you meditate on it and you use it as a means to connect with God, right? And learn how to follow him. So let's look at the passage really quickly, kind of go through. And I have questions. I'm going to go through paragraph by paragraph and I got questions for each for you to talk about around your table. We're going to start with verse 2. So Paul begins, watch out for those dogs, right? Those evil people, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved, right? So we know those of us who have studied this before know he's talking about people called Judaizers. Judaizers were a group that believed that in order to be saved, um, you had to kind of uh, follow the Mosaic law, right? Or in this case, if you, if you needed to be circumcised, physically circumcised, right? Which was an abomination of what was talked about here. It wasn't about the physical act that mattered, and Paul points this out. It was rather the act of the heart that was most important, right? It was that ascent to Christ, and was the transformation that in union with Christ that Christ did with us that our hearts are circumcised, our hearts are changed and transformed, um, and in that way, he said, that's what really matters. And he's, his, his words are really harsh. Why? Because they're basically going back to this legalism that kind of had been in place before, right? And it's very much a part of, 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 a, of a religion that is based on following law. You had to be legalistic in order to follow these things. I mean, there was grace, there was joy, there was hope in the midst of it. But if you didn't follow the law, you were done for, right? Um, and so he goes, no, no, that's not what this is about anymore. I'm not interested in this. Don't go in that particular direction. Uh, instead, don't add anything to the gospel, right? Um, your own efforts make no difference. Okay? And we know this, right? No matter what we do, we can't be saved. Um, but here's the reality, right? I think 
even for us as Christians, we're talking about our cultural Christianity, if I might say, you can say evangelical or post-evangelical wherever you're at in that particular journey. Not saying that your orthodox view of Christianity has changed in the midst of that. I hope it hasn't. But instead, what I'm saying is, is there are there's cultural baggage that goes along with it, right? As well as it goes along with our culture. So here's a question for you to ponder on your table um, and just talk a little bit. How do our cultural views of successful Christianity, right, be they evangelical or American, add to what Christ has invited us to? How do our cultural views of successful Christianity add to what Christ is inviting us to? Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's just like you have to be circumcised, right? It's a long discussion. I'll give you five minutes. So, but it's an important thing to begin, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I want you to be thinking about this because this is what it points out. In fact, this is what this whole passage is really about. Don't add anything to the gospel. All right? Talk a little bit. And you're just going to bring up ideas. Don't go into depth and detail about them. So what's, what, again, the question is what, what, what has been added to the gospel? What, what cultural expectations have, have been added to the gospel? Be they evangelical, Christian, or just American? Of what does successful Christianity look like? Right? I'm, I'm sure that if we were really honest, we might share some things that would create a lot of controversy, and then we'd have to spend the whole rest of the time talking about all of this, right? But that, that's okay, right? There's a lot of ways we can challenge our view of, of um, uh, how we look at Scripture and, you know, or, and even this idea, again, of like what's important. We're, we're putting together as an elder team this list of kind of what's essential and what's non-essential. Not that it's unimportant, right? And one of the keys, the what's non-essential is our style of worship, right? Our order of service. Right? Our titles, even our leadership model, which we like and are going to keep, is non-essential. Right? What's essential? Who's Jesus? Right? Those are the kind of things we're talking about. So anybody have any thoughts about things that have been added? And want to share? Just share general ideas. We're not going to go into depth in, about this. No one? Okay. I knew somebody had something. Thank you. Help me out. Yeah. Okay. So the model Christian, you know, wears this Christian face. The model Christian. Others, yeah. um, you know, donates 10% mm-hmm, off the top of your income, um, you know, shares the word, mm-hmm, provides service to others, uh, attends church every time, I mean, without fail, sends their kids to uh, youth camp and youth group and, uh, you know, University. And university, yes. And, and doesn't and doesn't fight with their spouse, we decided. <laughs> Anyone else? Man, there's a lot here. You guys didn't talk about any, nothing here. Well, I was going to say that your wife had a good comment, but why don't you just make it yourself? <laughs> uh, no, I, my mind is blank. I, thinking about um, conformity, and how we really value how things look rather than how things 
really are. We expect people to show up and be successful and have successful relationships and no struggles because you're you're blessed. That means everything's all good all the time. Yeah. And, and I would just add that the conformity um, diminishes authenticity. a lot here right a lot to think about and discuss so it wasn't just you know we're not just talking about this in this issue it was it was the mosaic law and the religious practices that went along with it specifically focuses on circumcision but in ours we also have those realities they're maybe more cultural than they are religious or they're or they've been taken on a religious form and have been added in it's an important thing for us to acknowledge when we're talking about union with Christ, a lot of these things are non-essential. Uh, and uh, I think it's good for us as we begin to realize how we respond to some of those non-essentials that there might be things within us that need to be changed as well. You know, um, you know for me, it took a long time to get used to um, having a, and I'll say this without getting in trouble with my wife, having a woman teach, you know? Or um, because that, it just didn't fit my cultural expectation from the way that I grew up and what I saw. I, I came to appreciate it, and I know some women that are much better teachers than I am, rather listen to them than myself, you know. Um, and, and there are other things like that that I've seen that they're almost like they've been added into what it means to be Christian. And I realize, oh, that's not really that important in the end, is it? Um, and Paul realizes this, right? All of these things that he's kind of built his life on are insignificant. In fact, he calls them uh, unimportant. But he, but he talks about them first, right? He says, I was circumcised on his eighth day, which is tradition, right? He was a member of the tribe of, of Benjamin. He was a true Hebrew, a real, not one who was, who, be, who was converted into the faith. He was born a Jew, right? He was a Pharisee and a religious leader. He, t- he held the hot, one of the highest um, places of responsibility. At that time, they were the leaders of the Jewish people, right? Um, because there was no like real active government, um, uh, and they were. He was zealous in, he, in his persecution of the church, and he followed all of the law requirements. He said without fault. I thought that was interesting. That was probably a fault right there, right? Um, and there were other things he didn't say. He was a disciple of uh, Gamaliel, the leader of the Sanhedrin. He was educated. He spoke many languages, right? And he was a Roman citizen, which actually, in the eyes of Rome, made him a real person. He had authority that others didn't. He had a lot of things he could have built his life on. And for, for Paul, his view, his view of salvation right, is, is that to be a Jew and to live a righteous life according to the law is what would save him, right? And in the end, he realized that wouldn't save him. That wasn't what he needed. And all of that then became his, the thing he, can you imagine this, when you realize the thing you built your identity on, the thing you spent your whole life working towards is meaningless. What would that feel like? I don't, I don't know that any of us can have ever come to that particular place as strongly as Paul had, but he, but he was looking at this as a way to save himself and he realized in the end that wasn't. And I'm sure this wasn't an immediate transformation. He didn't immediately toss off all of these things, but eventually he did, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I also recognize too, and I, I mentioned this last time I spoke there, the view of salvation in Philippians is slightly different than ours. Instead of a one-time thing it's an ongoing reality 
right? It begins with being delivered from your past sin. It continues daily by being sanctified, right? Being protected from sin, overcoming sin and temptation, right? And being transformed into his image. And it ends with glorification and going into being with with Christ in heaven. Um, And so therefore, everything you hear in Paul talks about this idea of, of kind of this process that continues. So even in the first chapter, um, I am confident that he who began a good work and you would carry it on to completion is talking about salvation, right? And then he also says in chapter two, live out your salvation, right? Fear and trembling, this idea of like daily living out this reality that's true about you. Uh, and this, this is an ongoing process. This union with Christ isn't just a one thing like, Jesus, I love you, and then you go live your life. No, it's daily I am integrating and becoming more like him, right? Daily, I am getting to know him better. This is an ongoing relationship that we're talking about. Um, And you know, Paul had every right to boast in his accomplishments. These things were all important. Um, But he encounters Jesus walking on a a road, right? On the way to to Damascus. His eyes are open. Jesus speaks to him, right? And he eventually, he, he comes to realize this one he'd been persecuting is the actual Christ, the anointed one of God, the God, the Son. He confesses faith in Jesus and is baptized and begins this process of transformation. And we see him in Philippians at the end of this process, not at the beginning. I wonder what he would have said at the beginning. He would have had a lot of questions and doubts, probably, and uh, he was just amazed. Just like the disciples are, you see Peter early on, and then you see him later and you see a transformed person. We see Paul in his more transformed state, more like Jesus. So, but here's a question for you to talk a little bit um, about what did you build your life on upon before Christ, right? What were you trying to be known and recognized for? Just share around your table. That should be short and fun. This, these are, these are important things to share because we get to know each other better, Right? You hear a little bit about our life before. Maybe some things we didn't know at all. Looks like many of you would rather just keep talking. Should I give you another minute? One more minute? Yeah, I know. There's, we need time for this. We should be having a meal right now and talking about it, right? Guys, go out to lunch with your table afterwards and talk more about these things, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad idea if you have the capacity to do it. And, and I'm not saying... These things are bad, but because of the way that we tried to leverage them, they were unhealthy for us, right? We tried to find our identity, and I don't know that, I guess you could say, even say salvation, although maybe we weren't even thinking of God at the time. You know, for Paul, it was about salvation because he, he was raised in a cultural context where that's what everybody thought about, Right? Um, but we are raised in a cultural context where many people don't think about those things. And we think about success in a different way. It's not about how, we, how God sees us, but about how others around see us, right? And again, these things may not be bad. Maybe you wanted to be a track athlete, right? Or, you know, there was something like that. Or maybe you wanted to do really well in school and prove yourself through your accomplishments. Go to Harvard or something, I don't know, you know, like that. Um, and those aren't bad things, except when they are where you find your identity, right? And because we're, because we're made for relationship, right? That, and again, this, 
again, that's the whole idea of we have these neurons because we, we learn and we grow through relationship. We know early on, most psychology is built around relationship. Early childhood is so important. Um, even this idea, there's one I've been looking at, attachment theory, which isn't no, new, it's, it's older. But this idea that the attachments that we have early on in life are, are essential to making us healthy people for later on as well. Right? And, and there's a relationship to, to God. It's when we attach to something other than God or one another that we get ourselves in trouble. When we attach to um, uh, something that we want to build our identity around, that's, that can become unhealthy, whether, what, wherever that success might, may lay. And I think in, the, in truth is, Paul had this problem too, and he realizes that he's been attached to this false idea, right? This impossible concept of being able to be a righteous person. He realizes how meaningless it is as he begins to know Christ and in that particular relationship, right? Um, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then as Paul does, he goes on and says it again in a couple different ways, right? Um, he's, you know, I can no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's the key verse in this particular passage. But it's that relationship, right? Um, that we, we can have and we can become one with God that really makes the difference. And we do that by trusting and placing our faith in him rather than in our own abilities, in our own accomplishments. Right? Um, and over time, Paul... Paul realizes that these accomplishments are meaningless um, and he starts make, taking action that show how meaningless they are, right? So even though he's a Jew, he freely eats and spends time with Gentiles. Right? And he probably even ate pork. Can I say that? Is that all right? Right? No. You don't think so? No. He didn't eat pork? But he would go to their home and he would spend time with them. He no longer was a Pharisee, right? He was no longer a part of the Sanhedrin. They probably kicked him out as soon as he started to follow Jesus. I bet he went and he started preaching to them. I can imagine seeing how that would have gone, right? He's no longer a persecutor of the church. Instead, he is supporting the growth of the church itself. And as a result, he himself is being persecuted. He no longer finds his salvation in the law, but in Jesus. And he uses his Roman citizenship to freely travel the Roman world and proclaim the good news of Jesus establishing new churches where churches wherever he goes and instead of differentiating himself from christ he is now becoming one with him and being united to him right pretty amazing right when you think about it so following the law was one thing he could brag about before jesus but paul knows now that doing great things for god won't save him following the law won't make him righteous being a righteous person uh, look, uh, you know, whether he looks good or actually is isn't going to make him right with god the only way to be saved is through a faith union with Jesus Christ, right? That's really what matters. And yet, um, you know, I think about we all have given up things to follow Jesus. And here's one. I don't know that we really need to talk about this. You can around your table. I don't want to take a tremendous amount of time. I want to talk a little bit more if you guys are okay with it. Um, But um, think about what you've given up because of following Christ. And then the big question is, what are you still holding on to? So why don't you just think about that? I'll give you a minute to reflect by yourself.
as well. Ask the Lord that as well. Lord, what am I still holding on to? What am I still trying to find my identity in? Yeah. So I want you guys to hold on to this, whatever it might be that you're holding on to, because we're going to at least take a step towards releasing it to God in a couple minutes. All right. But, but, but again, listen to this. This is Paul. Remember, he's at the end of his life. He's, he's been faithful in following Jesus, zealous as he was in following the law. He's following Jesus in that way, transformed. Instead of a man who kills, a man who gives life, right? He's amazing transformation that only happens because of this union with Christ, the intimacy that he has with him. And again, he says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Um, that's the most important thing to him in the midst of it. And I, and I do say this union with Christ is not easy, right? There are challenges every day. And yet, and yet the benefits are many. Let me just name. This is from Philippians. This is a list of benefits of following Christ from Philippians. There's joy in any circumstance or situation. There's agape love poured out freely on us. There's wisdom when we don't know what to do. He helps us understand, right? There's purpose in our calling to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be like Christ. There's identity in our community. We together are citizens of the kingdom of God, children of the king. There's union with Christ, right? Salvation, past, present, and future. There's encouragement. There's comfort from his love. There's fellowship in the spirit means we're one another. We have others walking beside us. There's a transformation of our hearts. There's help from God to change our desires and power to do what pleases Him. There's peace that passes understanding, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, and contentment in all circumstances. And these are just some of the things that are in Philippians. That's it. So list, I've, I've made 13 there, and they're all huge. They're huge, right? This is the benefit of union with Christ, and yet it's not easy. It's not easy because it's costly and it's hard to give up these things that have their grips in us and that our culture is constantly preaching at us. This is what's important. This is what's matter. This is where you find your identity, right? This is, this is it. This is it. They keep saying over and over again and we, keep, we have to keep saying, no, this isn't, right? No, this isn't. I give this up. Right? I surrender this to you, God. Um, I embrace what you have for me today. That's not easy. And the best way to do that is in the context of community. And, and here's what I want to do before we actually confess these things. I, again, I said earlier on that the problem with this particular form of, of, of uh, transformation, this teaching, is that it doesn't really transform you, right? It's, it's a, this, you know, this approach is interesting. At least I try to make it interactive in terms of the nature of it. So you guys get a chance to talk with each other and with me. But the truth is, we're only batting around ideas and truths. We're not taking them in and integrating them into our lives. That requires relationship, right? And ongoing. And, and that means for us as a body, spending more time together than just Sunday mornings and maybe an hour or two during the week. It means like Jesus did with his disciples living together. How do we do that more? How do we do that more? You know, and some of you threw out when I asked this question previously, like, yeah, we could do more potlucks. Great idea, but I'm thinking something more and deeper. All right. I'm asking for bigger commitment than that. So take a minute and, t and just chat around your table about how can we spend more time together helping one another in our relationship with Christ, our union with Christ as a body.
And for some of us, that's like, well, I've got a lot going on. I'm super busy. We'll talk about it anyway. No excuses here. Just no, I'm sorry. This is the kind of question we will bring up at the family meeting at the end of August. Be thinking about this some more. And if you have ideas, kind of write them out um, and, and send them to us. But also, what can you do? What action steps can you do in order to help make it happen, right? It's one thing to have an idea. It's another to throw it at someone else and expect them to do it. Um, that's the problem, right, too. And it's kind of a double whammy, like, hey, I have this great idea. Oh, no, that means I have to do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, in some ways, yeah, because we're a small community and we need each other's help. And if you have an inspiration, that might be something from God, right, to bring. And you have a part. You're not doing it alone, but we do need someone to champion it and bring it forward. So anyone want to share any, like, I heard a great idea, not your own, but someone else's from the table and before I close us with a time of prayer. We got two back here. It's all right. We'll do one at a time. There you go. I think when we do get together, a lot of the times it becomes very superficial and we don't really get into sharing our faith with one another. And I know I do a lot of things, going places with people, but you don't really get to the nitty-gritty of your faith and how it affects you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that um, those potlucks are actually grounding for me, and I think that because I know that this is my family, I can spend a week with scouts and be totally invested in them or living my life at my job. And I know that I can come back. Um, I, I, you know, those are two secular places, I guess to say, but I can come back here and always know that there are people who have been praying for me or who have been connected to me and you know my story and you know who I am as a sister in your community and so in, in our community. And so I think that those potlucks, like those ground me. Like I think that the potlucks are the things I don't know how much more I can, I couldn't do more things like live, like I feel like this is living together for me so then I can go out and then come back and I'm refreshed in this space because of who you are and the community that we already are. And so going to a concert on the square just gives me a place to see, to be able to rest knowing that my discipleship, I guess, is safe in that space. I don't know if I'm using the right words, but like that fills me to then go out to the places where I am and where I live. So are you against us doing more than that? No. Well, that's I not what I'm getting. No, yeah. I don't think that, I, I'm not saying do more. I think I'm saying that those, those do have value. And just yeah. because we're sitting listening to music or having a potluck, those are the things that give, that really do connect us. And yeah. Thank you. Lots of you. I got Doug and then Kermit and then we're done. Uh, 
Um, Alex brought up a good point of things that are like is fixed points, I think is the term she used, of things that are you don't have to announce them, that everyone knows that on you know certain you know, like a Friday meal or a, a game night at so-and-so's house, if, if they're fixed every time so people know that they can just go to those, after a while it becomes easier and part of a lifestyle. I just want to say something that uh, Eric and, and, and Penny's walks are just a really neat, that some of us have been on recently, just a really neat thing. I wish that that could be... You know, once a month we knew there was going to be a walk or something, and um, but um, things like that I just find very helpful. So thank you for those. Um, two two points. One was the thought that was uh, brought up of intensifying and deepening existing connections and relationships and occasions for interaction. So it's not. Adding, and I think it touches on a couple of points that have made, you know, just how can we make those times that we are already connecting more transformational, more intentional, deeper to touch on things that maybe we let slide. The second is just the aspect of um, what defines family? What makes a family relationship meaningful? And at one point in one's life stage, time is part of that, part of melding and putting something together. But over time, family exists independent of the amount of time. But when you get together, the time of reconnection is meaningful. It's like you know where family is, like yeah. you know has been said. Yeah. And you have those relationships. So if you get together with your aunts and uncles, literally – or figuratively, there can be a kind of instant reconnection and an awareness that that's always there, even though it's not in person. Thank you. So I, I know that we're spread out. I know that we're busy people. I get that. And I, and I know that we're, our lives are full. But I do want to say, um, I do think there are ways in which, with a little bit of thought, we can invite, and this has happened in the past, where we've invited each other to come over and, and join us in our relationship with our neighbors, you know? So, or in our work, like you guys are all welcome to come volunteer on campus if you want <laughs> with InterVarsity. In fact, I should figure out a way to do that more since this next semester, um, I'll be supervising Madison again. Um, but here's the deal, right? We have, we, have to, we have to be thoughtful about this and be thinking of ways to reintegrate because because we're busy and distracted with so much going on. And the more we do that, the more we live life together, the more opportunities we'll have to rub off on each other, to sharpen one another, right? And to grow and hopefully become more like, like Jesus and be at, in our union with Christ, bring him into that situation. So here, I'm going to close with a prayer. And I want you to do this. You're going to pray with me, all right? If God brought something to your mind that he said, you know, uh, you're holding on to, you need to let go of, <laughs> right? Which is possible for all of us. I want you just to pray um, this prayer, wherever I put it, um, with me. I should probably put my glasses on so I can actually see what I'm looking at. All right. So here, just, ho just you hold your hands out if you have anything you want to surrender. Close your eyes. So, um, Lord, we, we surrender uh, to you um, whatever this is. You just say it to him. 
Um, and we, you know, Lord, that we, we struggle holding on to this thing. It's good, but it's taken the wrong place in our life, and we're still seeking our identity in it. So we ask, Lord, that you would be Lord over this thing and our whole life um, and help us to be united with you. Replace this with more of you, Jesus. Um, forgive us for looking to other things to fulfill us and to meet our needs. Um, we know that you care about us, you love us, and so please fill this emptiness um, that we've been trying to fill on our own and, uh, and help us, uh, Jesus, uh, to be one with you, just as you are one with the Father um, and with the Holy Spirit. Um, we just pray your blessing on this, on our community, and ask for your continued help as we move forward in Jesus' name. Amen.